Thank you very much. <clears throat> it is rumoured that some people fall asleep when I talk. Maybe, maybe today that won't be the case. Um, anyway, um, I'm just uh, sharing this morning about you can't read the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, without uh, coming across this subject. It hits you on so many times. Uh, and uh, that is um, God's wisdom concerning how we handle our, ourselves sex-wise, our sex lives. Um, and uh, four things I want to cover. One, uh, the surprising thing about sex in the Bible. Number two, why we tend to undervalue sex. Number three, why at the same time we can also tend to overvalue sex. And uh, what's God's solution? Okay, so I'm going to read something to you, and it's from the Bible. Uh, and it's Proverbs, uh, and so just listen. It says, drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be enthralled with her love. A beautiful woman gains honour but ruthless men gain only wealth. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. And then towards the end of Proverbs, there are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on the rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a young woman. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. Now, let me just say something. You will have heard that. So why is it this talking all about women doing maybe some indiscreet, some indis immoral things? Well, what about the men? Well, let me tell you this. The facts are men do more indiscreet things wrong than women. That's the statistics. But the thing is, you have to understand that the book of Proverbs was written to men in finishing school. The men... The young men were being taught about what marriage should be like. And so that's why it also applies. It doesn't take much to put the other side to it. <clears throat> so let me just say, first of all then, what's surprising about this subject? And I mean, it stands out a mile, doesn't it? I don't know if you've read the Bible or read it all, but parts of it, you sort of, is that in the Bible? Uh, it's the kind of erotic terminology, isn't it? Drink water, water from your own system, run, system, running water from your own well. What's that a picture of? That's a picture of female sexuality. You have to enter a well to get the water out of it. And then it says, may your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. What's that about? That's actually a picture of male sexuality. It goes on. And it says, may you ever be captivated by her love. So what we have here, are you surprised? Uh, it's a rhetorical question, don't, don't answer. Don't answer, just stay quiet. <laughs> but what we have is really a very high view of sex in the Bible. Actually, barefaced rejoicing over sexual pleasure. Not the tiniest bit of prudishness, or may I say Britishness. It's also, though, an incredibly high view of marriage itself. 
at the time this book was written, the only two reasons a man would marry uh, number one, if a woman brought the man wealth or prestige, or number two, the man would make sure that the woman could bear children. Because to not have children would be disastrous. Nobody would be able to work the field, so they'd starve to death. No one would be able to look after them in old age. No one got married for love. No one got married for companionship. If you want that, go somewhere else. But that's not why he got married in, in the ancient times. But here, and uh, I've got a little uh, musical clip. I don't know if it's been able to uh, be arranged. If so, you could start playing it. Because it's one of my favorite songs, well, let's face it. And, um, <clears throat> but in the Bible and in Proverbs, your spouse is your haloop. And it's a Hebrew word. It's a word which means your most intimate friend, your best friend. Have we got that? That's the wrong one. It's not that one. Okay, what I was after, what I was after was, you're my best friend, queen. But I can't sing it, so I won't try. But Proverbs is saying this. It's saying, look, God's desire, if you're married, God's desire is for you and is that, you're meant to be crazily in love with your wife or your husband. Um, and uh, it flew in the face of the culture at the time. Uh, in fact, the word where it says, may you be captivated by her love, it literally means to stagger because you're drunk, meaning being absolutely, totally intoxicated in love with the person that you're connected to and that you are married to. Why was that a shock? Why did that jar? Because it inferred equality. In that day, women were chattels to men. Still are in some areas, aren't they? That's it. But here, Proverbs is saying, look, someone who's your absolute, totally heartfelt best friend, that's an equal to you. Then there's a word of caution in verse 16. This is slide um, three, if you've got it. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? It's saying simply, men, you don't just put it out there. Casual sex, according to the Bible, is out. Having sex with people outside of marriage is out. Now look, you can do what you like, yeah? You won't have a policeman come knocking on your door. But if you want the wisdom of the Bible, the wisdom of God, that's it. <laughs> so coming up, so surprising things in the Bible about sex. It's very open. Oh, can't cope. Going slightly red. But the second thing is we undervalue sex. Uh, and you'll see on this next slide that I actually uh, put up on there. <clears throat> Sex is likened to soaring in the sky, like an eagle sailing. Notice the eagle doesn't just cut through the air, but rides on the air, enters the air, yet supported by the air. And the culmination of these images, the most beautiful of all, simply human sex. 
But then suddenly again the mood changes. And uh, in verse 20, uh, sex becomes degraded. It, it's likened to sloppy eating. It says, this is the way of an adulterous woman. Could be an adulterous man. Remember, it's to men. Do you know why it's to men? Because men need instructing more than women do. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. What's gone wrong? What's gone wrong is sex has become a commodity, something that you get from someone. You know, I feel hungry, so I'll have a cheese sandwich. I feel, feel sexy, I'll have sex. Sex is degraded, is undervalued if it's just a commodity. It's something I get because I want that person to meet my need. I'm here for the product, not necessarily the person or the relationship. That's when sex is undervalued. Now, throughout history, people understood relationships, generally speaking, were not based on, it, on things being commodities. Relationships were based... On re relationships were based on commitment to someone. All cultures understood that a life filled only with a kind of consumer idea, I'm, I'm connected to you because you give me money, I'm connected to you because you give me children, I'm connected to you because you do this for me or the other. Cultures understood that if it's based like that and not on relationship, you end up actually with an empty life. An unhappy life, whereas a commitment-based life brings fulfillment. There's a, a writer um, who, was, who wrote, an English lady, Dorothy Sayers, a crime novelist. Um, and uh, during the Second World War, she made an interesting observation. She noticed that many people in the forces, people who had been conscripted from their ordinary jobs, they found themselves doing work that was vastly more satisfying than the jobs they were doing ordinarily in life. They weren't there for the pay, it was a pittance, the status was no status. But they were just there for the sake of getting something done, beating the Nazis. It was based on a commitment. But do you know what? The commitment for so many people was so much more satisfying than their ordinary jobs. And it's like that in relationships. A relationship that works is a relationship based on commitment. And actually, sex is meant to flow out of that. It's not the other way around. Society will tell you, you need to get the sex right, and then everything else will be okay. It's a lie. That's a total deception and lie. It's based on commitment. The environment in which sex best thrives is in a context of a committed, solid, married, loving relationship. <clears throat> All right so far? Are you coping? I don't know if I am, but are you? <laughs> and the Bible teaches we should never commodify sex. You must never give someone your body without first giving them your whole self. Neither should... You receive someone's body without them giving you their whole self beforehand. That's the wisdom of the Bible. Take it or lose it. Take it or leave it. Take it or, yeah. 
And if you're having sex but you're not married, you've held on to your life, you're still in control, you've not sworn to make the other person your responsibility, you've not given yourself to them. So we undervalue sex because it's only a product. Got a good example of that. Just recently, you may have heard of Jeffrey Epstein in the, uh, in the news. The, uh, what was he? Some sort of, it was super rich, wasn't he? And, uh, but he was found out and he was uh, found guilty, I think. Well, no, he was on, on trial for trafficking uh, young girls for sex. And of course, Prince Andrew was caught up in this scandal, wasn't he? And uh, at the end of his life, how did he end his life? He had everything. He had money, he had sex whenever he wanted it, with whoever he wanted at any time. And uh, he ended up in prison, dead. He said, well, this is the pinnacle of my life. Look what all this has got for me. A bullet through the head or whatever it was. And uh, so something where sex is a commodity, it's not a commitment, doesn't work. That's the wisdom of the Bible. Third thing, we overvalue sex. We overvalue sexual attractiveness and physical beauty. And one way we do that, this is slide six, is if, I don't know how many people are in this position, but if you evaluate a potential partner entirely on their looks, Proverbs says you're an idiot. And I have to say I'm a chief idiot there because I'm male, and 80% of males, when they're assessing someone who would be their partner, make it just their looks. But most women, in fact, probably all women know that that's daft because it's what's on the inside of a person actually that really matters. And uh, it says here in this proverb, you know, you reached out for a gold ring, something of beauty, but you got a pig's mess in your face instead. And uh, do you know what? I know two people. One is a friend of mine presently, and someone is a friend of Joe. Are you, are you asleep, Joe? No, you're not. You're just looking down there. I've got one of those people that falls asleep in my service. It's outrageous. But anyway, <laughs> and they went for beauty over anything else. They just thought, Wow. And their marriages, both of these men's marriages, ended quite quickly because that's all they based their relationship on, was the physical side. You reached out for beauty, but you got a pig's mess in your face instead. Foolish. Who would do that? Well, me, <laughs> I guess. Let's move on. The other thing, another way that we overvaluate sex is through the scourge and the sin of pornography. And pornography is this, men who lack discretion, lack, lack wisdom, if you like, because it takes you to a world of make-believe and fantasy that when you get a partner in life, a real person to be with, it undermines your relationship with them. It ruins real sex. And there's so many stories coming out these days of men, and women I suppose, but mainly men, uh, who cannot carry out a normal married, married life because they can only become excited when they have certain images in their head. They become addicted to it and, and fastened onto that. And it's, it's neutralized them. It's damaged them in some way. Do you know what? God wants to deliver people from addiction to pornography. God wants to set you free from anything that's going to wreck your life. 
He's for you in that. Porn overvalues sex. It subliminally, what it says is you're not really, unless you've got a certain proportion, certain features, you know, certain bulges in the right places and all that sort of thing, then you're doomed to fail. It's a total lie. And you know what? Because it's secret and we don't like talking about it, it's even worse because people don't want to even admit it, that they've got a problem in that area, that they feel inferior, that they feel not good enough. And they've been told through things like this that your, your life will not work, your relationships won't work because you've got to get the sex right. Utter rubbish. Good sex arises from a total commitment in marriage to a person. That's it. That's it. And then, if porn is the scourge and the sin that hooks men, something that hooks women is, is where we evaluate our self-worth according to how we look. Now, um, Proverbs 11:16 says, a beautiful woman gains honor. What's that about? Well, again, in the ancient world, men would get power, money, and prestige through just asserting themselves because they're powerful and strong. Women had few cards to play, but they knew that, well, I've got my good looks. And I can, women would get what they want by that. And it's still prevalent in society even, even today. And uh, it's the only card there is sometimes to play. And women often tie their self-worth to how they look. Um, you know, eating disorders are five times more prevalent among women than amongst men, which is, which is an indication of a lack of self-worth. Advertising doesn't help because uh, the adverts rob you of your self-respect and of your decency and sell it back to you at the price of the product. So you buy this off me, this nice dress, and you'll look great. Look, my point in this is, are your looks, whether you're a man or a woman, are your looks a source of dismay to you at times? And the funny thing I find, out, uh, find about this is, it's not, it's not people who you'd think weren't very good looking that feel this way. It's people who, who are perfectly all right, you know, looking, quite good looking, if you like. And it's people like that that say, well, you know, there's just something not quite right about my face here and, or about this, and I just need... That's okay, but look, if it becomes an obsession, if something is saying to you that somehow the way I am physically, it's not, just, it's not good enough, I'm, I'm not worth anything. And look, God wants to set you free from that attitude. Because it's ridiculous, it's wrong. God loves you the way you are, and people love you the way you are. The most important thing is what you like on the inside. Are you faithful? Are you loyal? Are you hardworking? You know, these kind of things. God sees your heart, not your outer appearance. And maybe God wants to set some people, people free from an obsession with their bodies. Well, what's God's answer? What's God's answer? Well, we've, we've, well, I'll tell you what the answer is. The answer for you and for everyone is who are you looking at? And I want to suggest a person to look at. And it came out the other week when David Robinson was sharing. He said, wisdom is a person. And that person is Jesus. 
And uh, I've got a question for her. Who's seen Take Me Out? You don't admit it, do you? Paddy McGuinness, Take Me Out. Listen, I was going to watch Discovery Channel, okay? And I came across this channel. I also, Escape to the Country, Take Me Out. And there's a whole line of attractive girls with a buzzer on green. And then this guy, this chap, comes in, parachutes in almost, and the game is that he, well, the women have got to say whether they like him or not. And so the lights change from green to red if they don't like him. What about, I'm not being irreverent here, but what about if, G, if this was at the time of Jesus and Jesus walked in? Would the lights stay on green? Let me tell you what he looked like. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man. Next slide, please. A man of suffering and familiar with grief, like one from whom men and women hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. I think the lights would all go to red, don't you? This was seen by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus came into the world. It's the prophetic nature of the Bible. Those two words, beauty and appearance, that I've underlined on there, are two Hebrew words um, that also can be translated shapeliness and were, were used of one of the drop-dead gorgeous women of the Bible called Rachel. She was a stunner. And, uh, but she had a sister who nobody wanted called Leah. And they both married Isaac, who had children through them. Guess which one Jesus came from? What? Was it? My apologies. It was Jacob, not Isaac. Jacob, not Isaac. My wife's wonderful. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it was Rachel and Leah, wasn't it? Thank you. So, got Rachel, gorgeous woman, Leah, the one everybody leaves behind. The girl that gets left behind. Which line did Jesus come from? The beautiful one? No. The plain one. The plain one. What's God saying in this? God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He's not bothered about our appearance. Our appearance, it's nice if you look good. It's good. But if it's an obsession, in some area there's some kind of sexual turn to it or if there's just a sense of degrading of your own self-worth because of your appearance then there's something that God wants to set you free from there's something that God wants to set you free from in that and uh, he chose Leah as the one that the Messiah Jesus would come through the come from the unbeauty queen and I wonder if the worship team could come back up um, to show you that it's not about the exteriors, to show you that it's not about what you like on the outside, it's what you like on the inside. And God wants to make you beautiful on the inside of you. And uh, all of us have got ugliness in our lives, all of us in one form or another. And the Bible calls that ugliness, ugliness of wrong behavior, whether it's sexual behavior or if it's uh, lying or theft on me or any other kind of wrongdoing, we've all got ugliness. But the message of Jesus, when we look to Jesus, is that on the cross, he died to take away that ugliness, to take away that sin. 
And this morning, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know the beautiful one who came and laid down his life so that you and I could know his beauty, fill our lives and take away our sin and take away our stain so that we can become beautiful, then you can know him today. You can say, I want the Lord. I want this one who was despised and rejected by people because he died for me to make me all right. He died for me to make me know that I'm, I'm worthy. Some of you are, are crushed by a lack of self-belief, a, a lack of self-worth. And God wants to give you that back. He wants to give you your self-worth, how he sees you. You know how he sees you? How does he see you? You don't think of yourself like that, but he sees you as beautiful in him. He sees you as righteous in him if you've been forgiven by his grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that uh, you are beautiful beyond description, Lord. But when you came as a human being, Lord, you, you, were, you were nothing special. You were very ordinary. But you did an extraordinary thing for us in that you, the innocent man, despised and rejected by people, laid down his life so that we can be forgiven. Born again, brought into a new life, and know and be able to hold our heads high, knowing that we are accepted and we're clean in your eyes. We're beautiful. And so, Lord, I just pray for anyone here who has any kind of issue connecting to our sexuality or any other kind of immoral, immoral acts or anything that's not, not what you want. I just pray for your grace now to be here amongst your people and bring your salvation 